The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Fast Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Pete Najeri and Tim Seymour, Steve Grasso, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, a number of big earnings reporting moments ago. Ford, Las Vegas Sands, Texas Instruments all on the move. We are monitoring those conference calls. We'll bring you the latest details. Plus, stocks in a game of a tug of war, but a top strategist says, don't worry. There is one chart that points to a rally this year. But we start off with a rally that almost was. The earnings euphoria fading today as big moves from IBM, United Technologies, and P&G fueling an early morning rally. The Dow jumping nearly 300 points before shedding those gains. So there is one key leading indicator that we want to pay attention to. Netflix, the stock falling again today, now down nearly 10% since its earnings report last week. This is a trend, remember, that we saw back in October. Netflix fell 17% in the month after its earnings report. Then the market followed suit in the months afterwards. So are we seeing the same move again? Is Netflix the canary in the coal mine? Guy. Well, I think it might be. And Steve's pointed this out since the fall. If you go back, as you mentioned, that report in October, the stock initially went higher, reverse went lower. Within a couple weeks, the S&P followed. I think that's what's going to happen now. Listen, the Dow was up 170, 200 points today. I get it. The S&P was only up five and a half, six. You mentioned the reasons why. I still think, look, if not a retest to the downside, it's going to get pretty close. I think Netflix gets us there. I think Netflix trades 300 before it trades 350. Yeah, this is definitely something I've been watching since the fall. But you got to remember, Netflix was up from that low, 50%. That was a hell, of a, a hell of an overbought situation that you had with Netflix. It deserves to come off. I do think it will be indicative of a sell-off for the overall. How much was it up uh, from January 1st to the highs before earnings, though? I mean, was it also had, was on a torrid run. Oh, so yes. Some would argue that it's the same sort of pattern, although this time it's on a compressed time frame. And I think it looks a heck of a lot like the market, to your point, though, Steve, and you've been pointing this out. I think it's been great because... This market, January, has been absolutely exploding to the upside, especially in the last week and a half, let's call it. And then suddenly, as you look at Netflix, what a run. I mean, I, I know it because I actually own some Netflix. I was looking for a pullback, Mel, because I've been trying to do this buy right strategy against it for a while now where I can buy it back and roll it up. I actually just executed that again yesterday. So I'm okay with it. I was actually hoping it would get back to these levels. I don't know that it necessarily has to bring down. I don't know whether the S&P has to test lows. Or, or if Netflix has to go back down and test lows, because I think when we look at the numbers as we're getting through earnings season, particularly today, we had IBM, we had United Technology, we had Procter & Gamble. 
that really did put the Dow up in a great spot. But Facebook and some of the Nasdaq stocks started to sink a little yeah. bit as the day started to go off. Well, so we're having this discussion because ultimately uh, Netflix is one of those names that is a high multiple stock that's all about growth. And if you look at it, you know today's earnings, the reason IBM, the reason UTX, these stocks are outperforming is there's specific things around these companies that are reasons why people uh, are rallying UTX. And we don't need to get into that, but that's all about UTX dynamics, IBM, all about IBM dynamics. Look at the financials. The reason the financials rallied as much as they did was because, frankly, they were mispriced. Netflix is, if, if anything, they were mispriced to the downside. If anything, in my view, and this has been my view, Netflix is mispriced to the upside. We're in a market right now that is challenging growth. So, yes, it's right that we're looking at it. And ultimately, I think Netflix had numbers that when any other quarter other than the last quarter, when also we were in a challenging environment, were more than enough to send that stock higher. I think it's, it's, it's an odd time because the market is so volatile that we're trading off of a, a lot more off of technicals. And when you look at Netflix, the stock, it overshot just a bit. That number should have been 350. That was the high end of the sell zone for, for Netflix specifically. Overshot by $8. The market did the same thing on a percentage basis. So I think they're both coming in. Is this a warning sign, though, for the rest of technology? I mean, if this is as you had mentioned, it was a pretty, it was a good earnings report. Any other quarter, the stock would have been fine, except for a quarter in which the stock ran up 50% going into it. We see this time and time again with a lot of the other names off the December 24th list, right? right? Big rally going into earnings. Does this mean that and it's got, it's got to just knock the cover off the ball in terms of the report? In order I think for they absolutely to have to. And I think we're seeing some of that this evening. We'll talk about some of the earnings yeah. today, even and not necessarily technology, but in the chip space. But it's pretty interesting, Mel, because when you look at some of these numbers and some of these names, which names have overshot to the upside? I think that's really what the game's all about in terms of trying to figure out where the markets are going, because Apple, has that overshot to the upside? I don't think so, off of its lows. But there are names that absolutely have. Netflix would be one of those that absolutely exploded to the upside. And almost inexplicably, the, the way it moved so fast, Steve, we were under 300. What were we, 260? We went all the way up to 350. I mean, that's a pretty extraordinary move in a very short well, look period at, of time. Look at the names that are responsible for the market just ticking up. And Netflix has been one of those horsemen. Yes. So it's going to be, yeah, everyone, I, you know, the, the word I use is always torque. It's always torque. It's high, always higher beta. I always use it, right? Torque. Torque. You always say the same torque. thing. This, torque torque all, the all the time. And, and I will tell you that if the, if the market's going to come in, it's going to be based on these four to six to seven names that do the heavy lifting. So it's it all stands to reason that you see a Netflix shoot up and come in higher and worse than the overall market. But are, are we also, couldn't we have a conversation about stocks that are underperforming in this environment as well and that those are the wounded animals? In other words, Apple's yep. is, is an argument there. FedEx is an argument there. These are companies that did not participate in this upside move. And what is is more emblematic of the environment we're in? It's, it's, it's you know, fallen angel companies, and I don't mean it in the credit context, but I mean, you know, the, those that were the most popular and the most, most loved companies that no longer are trading like they did. So you mean like a, a Netflix or like an Apple? Well, I, I think I think for now, Netflix is a high multiple stock um, that's going to be under more pressure in an environment like this. But I, I think in an environment where people are challenging growth and you've seen companies have had their basic thesis challenged, those are the companies that, to me, are more representative of where we are right now. It's interesting. You text... The fourth quarter was ridiculously. I don't know where they pulled this quarter out of. I mean, the EPS beat was and pretty the substantial. Yeah. And the, but the full year guidance, you know what? You look at their full year guidance for 19, it wasn't great. I think they guided 770 to 8 bucks, pretty much in line with previous guidance. So they could have guided, high, I guess, 
They could have got it higher. They didn't. Stock was up 5.5%. Why? Because it's been sold off so much. Yes, it's bounced off the December 24th low. You can make a case on valuation. But I don't think this was a 5.5% to the upside quarter. The same way, by the way, I didn't think Stanley Works was a down 15% quarter yesterday. So things are getting a little out of control. I think IBM is specific to IBM. I didn't think that was a ridiculously great quarter. I think people are buying into the fact that maybe Red Hat can be their saving grace. I think I'm not sure. I think that's the, what you just put your uh, – and Rockwell Collins in terms of United Technologies. I think, it's I think people Collins. are rewarding because yeah. of what they see going forward and getting better visibility potentially going forward because of the acquisitions, very bold acquisitions, especially Red Hat. That's the biggest ever in IBM, right, at $34 billion? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a monster. And UTX, um, as Pete talks about, this whole Collins deal, and basically it's a spin out of three companies now. You're going to create three industry-leading businesses, and the timing of that spin out's actually been moved up. It's 18 months instead of two years. That's very positive for the stock with free cash flow. Stock-specific good news there. All right, we've got a news alert out of Washington, D.C. Let's get to Eamon Javers at the White House with the latest. Eamon. Yeah, Melissa, that's right. The Washington Post is now reporting that the acting chief of staff here at the White House, Mick Mulvaney, has sent uh, letters to federal agencies asking them for information about high-impact programs of the federal government that could be disrupted if the federal government shutdown continues into March or April. That's an indication that the White House is thinking long-term in terms of this government shutdown. And we saw this set to between the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, and the President today about the State of the Union next week, confirming that everyone in Washington thinks the shutdown down will go at least that long. Now, uh, it looks like they're doing some advanced planning here in terms of what might happen if the shutdown goes into later this spring. Now, I can tell you that I've got a statement here from a senior OMB, Office of Management and Budget official. Uh, the official saying prudent management means planning and preparing for events without known end dates. As OMB continues to manage this partial lapse in appropriations, unfunded agencies are being asked to continue to share with OMB an ongoing list of programs that could be impacted within the coming weeks. So uh, the White House, the Office of Management and Budget here confirming uh, that Washington Post report that uh, Mick Mulvaney has asked agencies uh, to send him a list of all the programs that could be disrupted if this shutdown continues. There, that includes things like uh, the federal court system, the payments uh, of benefits under the Department of Agriculture to people uh, who are on federal assistance and all the rest of the programs in the vast federal government bureaucracy that might be impacted here, Melissa. So programs as opposed to agency functions like the SEC, right. for instance? Sure. And all of that, I think, is, is what the White House will be concerned about. What does this mean? For example, there's been some discussion about the IPO market and the SEC. Uh, the White House wants to know, it would seem, what all of the unintended consequences of this government shutdown could be, how all of that could play out. And it's asking the federal agencies for their guidance on the most high-impact programs uh, that, that could come into play here. Basically, the White House is trying to figure out how bad it could get yeah. if this continues into March or April, which is a very long time from now. Wow. Eamon, thank you. Eamon Javers in Washington, D.C. If it continues until March or April, I mean, this I, is concerning the government shutdown. We haven't even gotten to a legislative agenda yet. It's more concerning that we're <laughs> thinking of what the ramifications are for how much longer we can go with this, not what do we do to get this solved. Both sides of the aisle, it, it's absurd that we're now investigating ramifications of how we have to deal with this. Well, I think five, they're just trying to, they're trying to put people's mind at ease, too, though. I mean, for, for us, for when you, we get that panic set in, that it could go, there's the longest shut down in history and then you get a panic oh my god what's going to happen i think a lot of this is probably just trying to soothe 
the public saying, okay, it's not the end of the world. We'll get by on this. We'll try to figure it out. I don't think it's necessarily a bad well, thing for them. Especially to if they're sort of entitlement programs, those sorts right. of programs. People want to have some answers there. Uh, let's get more on this as well as the markets. Bring in Jonathan Golub, the chief U.S. equity mm. strategist for Credit Suisse. Jonathan, great to have you with us. Good to be here. Um, how much bigger of a risk to the markets, if at all, or the economy, is the shutdown at this point? Well, I mean, long, long term, it, it's not a big deal. I mean, one of the things that we're focused on is not what happens in you know, to specific programs, but the people get their tax refunds. I mean, people spend that money and the people who file early are, are the, you know, they, they put that, you know, back into the economy. You also have workers who are, you know, who are not going to go and, and get a paycheck. So we're really looking at the, the consumption. I, I kind of disagree with the point that you're making that this is to soothe. If you listen to the point made by the White House, that if this goes on for the whole quarter, that you can have a zero GDP. First of all, that is an absurd thing. You know, GDP is expected to be three percent this quarter and to wipe out three percent GDP, it's almost the opposite. It almost seems as if people are trying to turn up the heat and uh, and, and fight this out. So, you know, it's, so it's I, like I'm a, not sure a bargaining chip almost. But yeah, I, there, are, there, are some, there are some concrete ways in which an investor is impacted by this. And that is you have less data to go through. I mean, Steve Leisman did a report today on Power Lunch about the whole list of data that has not been released because of the government shutdown. And much of that data is an input into calculating GDP. So when the Fed meets on January 29th, it will have less data on which to be data dependent. Well, you want to know what the, Fed, the Fed's you know, plan is? Nothing. There, there's no way with the stuff going on with China and trade, the stuff going on here with an economy that's weak in China, expected to decelerate a weak Europe. The market, the futures market is telling oh, you they're out. So I, I don't, don't think, think it affects that they're them. going. I mean, I never thought that this I mean, I don't think, I don't think anybody thought who cares what I think that it was a live meeting. But it's a meeting at which uh, the Fed chair is going to answer questions. And when the Fed chair answers questions and it answers them off the cuff, We've seen in the past, that's when the market volatility is introduced again. I mean, no question about it. <laughs> that, that's, no, no, that's listen, you want more. And there's less data to, to kind of educate his opinion or to point to as he's answering the questions. Sure. I mean, right now, all we're focused on is corporate profits. Sure. In three weeks from now, when the corporate profits fade, the, the input is government data. And if it's not there, yeah, you're absolutely right. So, what, what should we be expecting at this point um, of the rally? It seems like. There's some stress points at this point. So let me give you two positives and Uh something that I'm very confused about. So the positive, number one, is the Fed is basically done for the cycle. That's what the market believes, and I think the market's going to be right. Uh, Number two, volatility, as much as we have all this stuff going on, is going to continue to drift lower. That's why the market's rallied so much. And as we have a VIX move towards 15 and below that, you're going to have a market that's going to continue to rally. It gets tougher after the VIX gets back towards 15. Then I think the, up, the, uh, the uh, trend is harder. So this is the one chart. The one that chart is the, that, that you got to understand. Chart. And what, I mean, you can see when the VIX is rising, the market's selling off. That is the whole story of the fourth quarter and why you had this pullback. And when that volatility drains out of the market, um, then it's game time again. But the VIX is chasing, you know, it's, it's lagging. In other words, the VIX is responding to, to data that we're seeing, whether it was that China ISM, whether it was the U.S. ISM, I should say, it was the China data points. Um, so ultimately, if we find ourselves at 20, it's because something has changed, not because the VIX has changed. Um, yeah, but there is, there, I think there's a lagged effect on this. Hedge funds adjust their position sizes based on the level of market volatility, but they don't do it on where the VIX is today. They look at it on a 
rolling, you know, one month or two month basis. Yep. So if the VIX has been drifting lower, that means that over the next month or two, hedge funds are going to reflate their position sizes and they're going to be buying those NASDAQ fan kind of names that, that, that they've sold out of. So I think if you just simply have a slow drift down, it, it's like having a really strong tailwind. I don't think you need the VIX to get down to 12 in order to have more upside. Um, we're just about out of time. What, what is the one thing that confuses you? You know, there's total <laughs> inconsistency in the underlying um, earnings data. Let me just specifically, um, the earnings are, are moving towards zero for the first quarter. I mean, right now, two and a half percent expected growth. The revenues are knocked the lights out good and the margins are horrifically bad based on Wall Street consensus expectations. It doesn't make sense. One of those is right. One of those is wrong. I, I think that the way you play this is an option space. Either way, this is going to be a much bigger return to the upside or this thing is going to get ugly. I don't think you're going to get something in the middle. All right. More time needed for this. Jonathan, great to see you. Thank you so much. Jonathan Golub of Credit Suisse. I go to Pete then. Well, the, one, <laughs> the part that, that confuses me a little bit with what Jonathan's, Jonathan's laying out is we've got a lot of different things that are uncertainties. And uncertainty provides volatility. And uncertainty in the form of China the trade, the slowdown, our own situation here with the shutdown and everything. I think the combination of those, Mel, is why we are still at a 20 VIX. Otherwise, right now, if, if you removed even one of those different legs, I think we'd be closer to a 15 or a 16. But I think we continue to hold some of these levels. And until we get answers, I think those levels are going to stay in the market. And we could see it. Today was a perfect example of everything we've gone through. We're up 300 down about 170 or 190, whatever it was, all the way back up to finish up 170. That is complete volatility, and people don't understand. That they're just looking at close to close. I'm looking at intraday, which is unbelievable. Yeah, I, I'm with Pete on this one. I've been, been wrong, but I do think the VIX should be higher. I don't necessarily agree that the Fed is out of the picture for 19. I think that's what the volatility index is saying. And given the choice between revenue growth and earnings growth, I'll take revenue growth every day. So I guess that's a good thing in terms of what Jonathan was saying. The Fed is definitely, I agree with you. I don't think the Fed is out of the picture. And even if they're out of the picture, QT is still happening, right? So that $50 billion or $40 billion, whatever the number is, it's still rolling off on a monthly basis. That is the equivalent of tightening at every meeting. Bottom line, though, back to stocks, 2019 S&P uh, EPS outlook is, is in about 2% already, based upon where we are. That's the numbers I'm looking at from, from the street. So um, you are getting this essentially recalibration of what companies should be trading at, or at least where their earnings are going to be. That, to me, is the biggest determinant in a world where we're without the Fed. Coming up, check out shares of Ford, the stock higher after its earnings report. We'll tell you what Wall Street is saying ahead of the company's conference call. Plus, Wall Street turning on a different automaker, Tesla, as RBC downgrades the stock. There are now more analysts with sells than buys. So what is everyone doing a U-turn on this? We'll explain. And later, this could be Walmart's year, at least according to Morgan Stanley. But one trader thinks a different retailer could wind up on top. We are live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. Time for our call of the day. Walmart getting a boost from Morgan Stanley, upgrading the world's largest retailer for the first time in four years to an overweight. The firm says the stock will be one of the only retailers with earnings growth this year. Walmart's up 6% so far in 2019. So is Walmart the champion of retail? Pete? You know, I understand where they're coming from on this call. The problem I see is I think they waited far too long to get to where Mm -hmm. they are right now. I mean, the stock's already back up to 98 from the low 80s. I think it's late. Uh, they did raise the price target from 107 to 110, so that was interesting. They talked about e-commerce and the strength that they've got there and jet acquisition and how things are getting better. I think there are other retailers out there, though, that have already proven it, and I'm looking specifically at Target. Mm. And the reason I say that is, shocker. shocker. But take a look. When you look at e-commerce, you look at the growth. They, ha- they actually put up a number for holiday sales of 5.7% higher. I mean, when you look across, it makes sense to me that you've got a higher margin business with Target than you do with Walmart and I think when you look at pay and some of the input costs that are going into this whole thing, I think Target's got a better opportunity in front of them, especially at 69 versus 98. I think you hit it on the head with that it outperformed early on Walmart. Walmart is not only going to have to beat consensus, but it's also going to have to trade at the highest EBITDA multiple since 2000. It's got to trade at 11 times to earn 10% from here. And I think that's what they're talking about. Or are they just talking about outperforming the overall market? I would agree with Target, though, if you had a would you rather. I, I he did his own. Would you rather? Would you rather? How great is that? <laughs> I, I like it's it's good. Every once in a while, I like to play a game. Like my sure. the game I play is didn't make it to the dry cleaner on time because clearly, <laughs> clearly oh. Steve. No, I'm <laughs> kidding. That's a that joke. That's a okay. that's a mean thing. I'm sorry. Nice no, laugh track. Look, how do you get? How do you get? How do you wrap your head around Walmart at close to 22 times forward earnings as opposed to Target at close to 13? 13. So they're not that far apart in terms of where they are. So I'd rather own Target here than Walmart at this lofty multiple. Uh, you know, to me, I don't want to own any of them. But if I want to oh. own any of them, I want to own Target. Look, Walmart is suffering from having to compete on price, which, by the way, they're supposed to. That's what they've always done. Uh, The competition in the grocery space, which is a major percentage of their overall sales mix, that's what gets people coming back into the stores. Guess who's fine for that that, that dollar? Amazon. Amazon's going to win. But but in in between, you have more floor space in the consumer staples, food retailing, trillion-dollar consumables market than you've ever had before, and you think Walmart's going to be more profitable? No way. I I, I just think Walmart's done a nice job of investing in their business, but the best days are If not Walmart or Target, then what? Um, I tell you what, if, if, if we're going to be in kind of broad lines or, or hard lines, I'd rather be in like a Best Buy. And I realize maybe I've just changed the tune, but I just told you that I think all of these companies, there's too much competition in that space, and they're all fighting for too fewer dollars. So, and Best you know, Buy's been doing this for years now so against Amazon. So would you Amazon. rather Best oh, like Buy or Target? Game. Because those are two I Minneapolis like companies Minneapolis. that you have fast-pitched in the past. I have, and I still like them both, but which one do I own? I own Target. And I think I own it for what I see right now is all the right reasons, because they aren't as, Tim brought it up, when you look at Walmart, 50-plus percent is coming from grocery. What's the margin there? Pretty much nothing. Zero. Yeah. So and when fall. you go over and you look at 20% of that at Target, you can understand why this mix makes much more sense for Target. All right. For more on Walmart and what is next for the big box retailer, head on over to tradingnation.cnbc.com. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. Here's what else is coming up on Fast. Get back in there at once and sell, sell. That's what Wall Street is saying about shares of Tesla. And we'll explain why one analyst says the Elon Musk premium is overdone. Plus, earnings season is in full swing. And Pete Najarian says there's one name on the deck that's getting ready for a major breakout. He'll give us his fast pitch. There's much more fast money right after this break. 
Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. We've got an earnings alert on Ford. Shares of the automaker higher as the company conference call is about to get underway. Let's get to Phil LeBeau, who is at a Ford dealership in Irving, Texas. Hi, Phil. And Melissa, it really is about the conference call. We knew that the fourth quarter numbers that they were going to be reporting roughly in line with what they, they reported today, a profit of 30 cents a share. Remember, they pre-announced last week. So in terms of what to look for on this conference call, remember, it's all about 2019. So far, the company has not given a target for EPS or guidance on revenue. It has said there is the potential to exceed on key metrics like revenue, profit margin, return on invested capital. That's why Jim Hackett's conference call, the tone that he sets, what he tells analysts in a couple of minutes, that will be crucial to what we see happening with Ford shares tomorrow. As you take a look at this stock, which has really been beaten down over the last couple of months, keep in mind that we do know a couple of things regarding 2019. One, the European restructuring has begun. We'll get more concrete details likely by the middle of this year. And two, they are going to have greater losses in 2019 than in 2018 when it comes to their investments in mobility services and autonomous vehicles. Still targeting a, a commercial launch in 2021. But Melissa, those are the two things we know about this year. A lot of questions coming up in a few minutes regarding what Ford will be doing, not only in the first quarter, but for the remainder of 2019. Phil, what's your take on the investment community and, and how much patience they have uh, for Jim Hackett, who's, who's uh, I mean, he's been CEO for almost, what, two years now? And at the same time, yep. we've got a, a very favorable story over at General Motors in terms of what they're doing and what they are seeing around the world. Correct. And then you got Ford. Um, I think that the patience is okay. There have been times when there's been less patience in terms of how analysts have felt about Jim Hackett and Ford and their inability to clearly communicate where the company goes from here. But you're right. When you compare Ford with General Motors and you talk with analysts, it's night and day. They will tell you, look, you may not agree with Mary Barr's strategy in certain areas. You may question whether General Motors will get where they're going, but it's a strategy that you can clearly follow. That is not the case with Ford. Jim Hackett has a lot of trust us. We're moving in the right direction. This is where this company is going to go. But they're not giving specifics, and you know how Wall Street feels about that. Yep. Phil, thanks. Phil LeBeau uh, with the latest on Ford here. Ford's got, what, a 6.9% or so dividend yielded, sitting on $34 billion roughly in cash on its balance sheet. So the balance sheet's not in question at this point. Do you have the patience, though, 
to stick or stick with this turnaround story. Well, again, we, we just got some numbers on the balance sheet. You see seven billion in cash versus seven point three billion. I mean, you know, I, I think if you look at the company making a dollar thirty, which we now know for twenty eighteen, Phil talked about Detroit Auto Show, they dropped all the bombs they needed to and then said we might, but we're not expecting to be more profitable in the future. This company trades at six and a half times earnings on twenty eighteen with that kind of a yield. I'm not saying rush out and buy Ford, but if you don't tell me there's not a lot of bad news in this stock and a company that, you know, is lagging GM in terms of its its alacrity around its core business. But you know what? They're getting there. Good word, alacrity. You know, I have the potential to win the lotto tonight. It's not going to happen. I mean, they talked about the potential for a lot of things going forward, none of which are probably going to happen, respectfully. And Tim's right. Valuation is compelling. It's been compelling for a while. For the last five years, on a tape that's been outstanding, until recently, in an auto space that's been probably the best ever, Ford's going basically from the upper left to the lower right in Dennis Gartman terminology. It means the stock's gone down. Every rally's been a selling opportunity, and I think that's what you're seeing here. So I, and Morgan Stanley, by the way, who seems to be the axe in the space, uh-huh. ratcheted down numbers major league for 2019, 2021, and Was 22. Was it like a mega ball kind of lottery odds or like a pick six? Because Good point. That's an excellent no, no, point because by you. The, the stock is, is where it is. And we are perhaps on the verge of getting the most detail from Jim Hackett than we got in the past on this turnaround plan with time Pencil going for by. upside, by the way. I mean, I don't know if it's mega ball, but, uh, right. you know, I, I, I just think that we wanted to get more information. It's not good. But you, just, you just said it before uh, to Phil about GM. They gave their outlook. They gave their guidance for 2019 and the stock popped 8 percent. It's right where it was two weeks ago. So it can't hold these gains. They're both rolling over. Something's going on. And GM's making their money off of selling SUVs and trucks, not off of sedans. Higher price margin. Not a lot more sales. All right, let's shift gears. Nice. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, Tesla shares in reverse today after RBC downgraded the electric automaker to underweight, slashing the price target to 245 from 290, saying the company's lofty valuation of late is coming to an end. The downgrade tipping the scales of Wall Street now as more analysts have a sell rating on the stock than a buy rating. Also today, Tesla cutting production numbers for the Model S and Model X in order to improve efficiency. So is it time to pump the brakes on the mm. stock. I think what's interesting in this analyst call too, Pete, and I'm sure you read the call mm-hmm. uh, from Joe Spackett over at RBC, is that a lot of the things that Tesla's been doing in, in recent days, the layoffs, eliminating the lower end of the X and the S, those are responsible things to do that you want a car company to do to increase efficiencies, but they're being punished for it. They are. They're the right things to do, but at the same time, everybody focuses all the time, and we, you know, we always have this debate, tech or car company, and the reality is, all of a sudden, if you're looking at production numbers, if, if you're cutting back, Mel, that makes this company something different than what a lot of the folks are looking, that are looking the at it. The narrative has changed for it, a lot it, of the bulls. It does. It does. I think it does. So it, it now it really depends on what do you view this company as? And it depends. Now, if you're looking at it as an auto company, which a lot of people still are, of course, uh, I think what they're doing makes sense financially. But at the same time, I think it makes it very, very difficult going forward because that's what people are looking for. Can you hit these numbers? And I don't think they can with some of the cuts they've made. Here's what stood out to me also in this report. The third quarter of 2018 may have been peak profitability this decade, according to RBC. Phil LeBeau. It's interesting to see Wall Street oh. all of a sudden taking Didn't a turn here. Didn't go by the guest? Here. No. 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 Obviously Imagine. not. He's there. <laughs> you know, Melissa, I think what's interesting as I was reading that report is that it is confirming what a lot of people have suspected for some time, or at least it reinforces the belief that some people have had for some time, that the metrics surrounding Tesla, they need to be brought down. 
They need to be brought back into a range where people can say, okay, I understand this a little bit more. We're not going to have the linear growth that the bulls expected for some time. doesn't mean that Tesla can't grow in the future, but as we've talked about before, we're in a lumpy period. You're going to see production going up, coming back a little bit, going up, coming back a little bit, and that's to be expected as you see this company go from a niche manufacturer to a slightly bigger niche manufacturer, almost on the verge of being a mass manufacturer. All right. Thanks, Phil. Phil LeBeau in Texas for us. Now I've goodbyed the guests, mm, okay. but we shall continue discussing this topic here All right. on the desk. like what you did. That was what? stealth the way you let him go, brought him back. It, was, it kept you on your toes, charge. right? You never know where we're going to have Where's Phil? I know Where's I know. Phil? Tesla's traded between 250 and 350 effectively since mm-hmm. the beginning of 2017. It's made more runs on the upside than the downside, but it feels as though you're making another push towards 250. And I've said for the last six months that, you know, you get yourself off sides in a stock, you sort of stay away. Well, I got myself really off sides in the stock a number of times, so you just stay away. I think the opportunity to buy it lower will present itself, and if it gets there, you buy it at 250. All right, still ahead. Three chip stocks on the move in the after hour session. Texas Instruments, Xilinx, and Lamb Research, those stocks all higher. Is the tide finally turning for the beaten down space? We will explain. Plus, Pete here, stepping up to the plate, getting ready to pitch one beaten down industrial stock, he says, is about to perk up. That's a hint. Find out the name when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Earnings season in full swing as reports from some of the biggest companies flood in. Next week marking the busiest week with everything from Apple to Facebook, Caterpillar, and a handful of biotech names set to report. And Pete says there is one beaten down name that is due for a breakout. He's at the plasma for his best earnings bet. Pete, take it away. So I'm going to throw out there Caterpillar, and here's why, Mel. I mean, one of the things that we have noticed in earnings season so far in the last quarter or so and now going into this one is Cash is king. Everybody loves these cash flow numbers. We saw it today with some of the names that came out, United Technology and so forth. This is a company that is absolutely, in the last two years, free cash flow has more than doubled. And the first time since 2013, free cash flow has exceeded $5 billion. So that's telling me a lot about how things are going. That's the expectation for 2018 in this Q4 numbers. They put a lot of money into buybacks. They've shrunk back about 10% of their shares over the last five years and the dividend yield, which is pretty nice as well. So this is a very shareholder-friendly CEO group. And by the way, speaking of the CEO, since 1980, this gentleman has been at the company straight out of college, been there ever since, been in all different aspects, but primarily in the energy space. And he had something a couple of years ago where he just said, you know what? We are going to finally focus on growth. We really are, and they are attacking it, and we're seeing growth right now. Look at the earnings growth the last couple of quarters. Take a look at revenue growth as well. This is a company that's really clicking, trades at 10 to 11 times right now where it is presently. I think there's a lot of reasons to like Caterpillar in this market. Now, there will be an issue with the dollar, but you take a look at this chart, you can see this big drop, a lot of that was the market itself as it was getting pushed down, but also the strength in the dollar is something that will come up. I wouldn't be as worried about that. I think things are going to change. Listening to Jonathan Gallup as well, I think things are going to change, and I think this is a company that very easily could return to about 150. Gingham's got a question here. Yeah. What do, you, what, do you think, uh, what do you think about th- this, these stocks trade off of China trade? These yes. stocks trade off of that whole complex trades off of China. Yep. So when we've looked at China growth slowing mm-hmm. to basic historic lows for us, and we don't even know what that real number is, 
Are you nervous about that going forward? It's a pretty big number coming from that area anyway. There is no doubt, and, and, and just under 50% is in the U.S., but you're right, Steve. I mean, there's a, there is reason to have some nervousness, but that's also why I think it trades at the multiple that it does. I mean, this is a company, like I say, trades at 10, 11 times, so it's very inexpensive. I think because of that, much of that is already priced into the stock right now. Hey, Pete, yeah. I'm, I'm, I find it curious that you're concerned about the, the dollar and the FX, because if anything, to me, the trend seems to be actually in their favor now. The dollar seems to have, at least yeah. in my view, found a kind of a range. Couldn't this be a tailwind also for people? Absolutely. No, I agree with you, Tim. I'm just saying that a lot of what we were hearing for a while was we had pressure because of the dollar. And now, whether it's a tailwind or at least not as big of a factor in terms of a headwind, I think because of that, yeah, they're going to discuss the dollar because we all know what happened. But I still think when you're looking forward at this company, you got to be conscious of what those comments are. And are they really something that they're going to have to worry about this coming year? I, don't, I think less so than more so. So I would agree with what your question was. Yeah. Question time is over. Let's mm. vote. Are you buying Pete's pitch on Caterpillar? Guy. Oh, I go. I go uh, yeah, yeah. So we go have first. a crack crew back in EC, Amanda <laughs> and, and, and Kristen. Well, Chris is here, but yeah, normally. But they, but they taught me things. And yeah. one of the things they taught me is this expression. They say, 100, uh-huh. when you think something's really cool. So I look, I think there's a chance they miss, but you know. <laughs> 100%. means like it's, I'm behind no, you them. You say 100%. 100. You don't say 100. No, you say 100. You say, yeah, so I think the downside here is 120, Weisenheimer, and I think the upside is more like 155, 160. So just in terms of the optionality, I'm with Pedro on this one. Uh, Grasso? So I'm going to say buy, but buy into that trade deal. I think you're going to get a bounce in the whole space, and I think you're going to have a sell-the-news event off of that trade deal. And as far as the dollar, if, if China is talking about uh, zeroing out the trade imbalance, that is going to rally the dollar here. So I'd be very concerned after that trade deal gets done. That is such neat penmanship. Thank you. I mean, really. (laughs) Thank you. Example of penmanship. Tim. Um, I'm a buyer, Pete. That's Pete on a side view, by the way. Um, Look, bottom line is this is a company that's already endured a number of EPS cuts. Uh, at 13 bucks a share, you guys can do, do the math on EPS. That's, that's 10 times 2019. That is not expensive. And there's a lot of bad stuff that can go wrong. I think you've been compensated at this point. Buys all around. Nice. But are you at home buying Peep's Pitch for Caterpillar? You can vote in our Twitter poll right now. It doesn't look very good, but oh. come on. There's time to vote. We'll reveal the results later on in the show. Plus, Xiaomi showing off its new foldable phone in a promotional video today. Is this just another sign of Apple's lack of innovation? We will explain. More Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. One of China's biggest electronic companies giving Apple a run for its money as it shows off its brand new smartphone. Josh Lipton's got all the details from San Francisco. Hey, Josh. Melissa, it's the video that has the tech world buzzing. Chinese phone maker Xiaomi revealing a new device. So check this out. At first, it kind of looks like your standard run-of-the-mill tablet, good for reading, maybe surfing the web. But then, as you're going to watch here, it changes, folding into thirds. You see the left and right sides bending behind the center there. Now it looks a whole lot different, more like a smartphone. So Xiaomi isn't alone, of course. We know other tech giants are exploring this same technology. For example, you've got Samsung. Now, it's also been teasing its moves into the foldable phone market, promising that the new phone is coming soon. So why the excitement for these foldable devices? Because they do represent real radical changes in design, and that industry players hope are going to kickstart growth. But I also did catch up with tech analyst Patrick Moorhead. He's a former AMD exec. Now, he lists 
some potential challenges for these devices as he sees it. How durable, he asks, are they going to be? Will bigger displays drain battery life? Will future apps and operating systems work well with such new form factors? And the price point could be very high, he says, as much as $1,500. But it's also why Moorhead thinks such phones potentially do pose some risk here to Apple. After all, that premium part of the market is exactly where Tim Cook plays. Moorhead does not expect them to be the first mover in foldable phones. Of course, that doesn't mean Apple couldn't then catch up and beat out those first movers as they often have with new tech. Guys, back to you. All right, Josh, thanks. Josh Lipton in San Francisco with all the details. I don't think anybody is saying that people are going to be trading in their Apple iPhones for these foldable smartphones, but this really underscores the bare notion that Apple hasn't been at the table when it comes to innovation and that it's you know, every single form factor of this is just a variation oh. of the same old thing. And by the <laughs> way, a chief competitor, especially on price in China, is not is involved in the innovation. And Apple's bread and butter over the last two quarters has been higher ASPs. So, again, innovation coming with a low end player. That's a challenge. You know, and, and you wonder. But this has been Apple's story the whole time, though. They, they constantly they look what's out there and then make decisions off of that and how they think they can do it better. I mean, that really has been, and I'm not putting down Apple about innovation. I'm just saying that that's the way they've innovated. They've taken a concept and made it somehow better, it seems. And because of that, that's why I think they've had the success they've had. Now, that was as cool a phone. You and I were both looking at that just going, holy smokes, yeah. is that a pretty you amazing thing? You were drooling, thing? actually, Pete. I had a little bit of drool on one side of my head. That could, that could that create on. the next cycle, the next cycle for right. an Apple. And Apple has never, you started off, Apple has never been on the forefront. Apple has always Apple. copied. Hold on a second. How about the, the iPhone? What are you guys talking about? This was, this, was the, this was the smartphone that changed the world. Blackberry. Okay, and then... No, and, and no. Blackberry was yes. the first no. smartphone. Yeah, but, no. That was the first Apple. Why, Everybody why said do nobody I not would give a, up their Blackberry. Because Apple every made it better. Made it better. Apple everybody made wanted it better. Every one of the ecosystem, they tried Samsung every Okay, you're right. The iPhone was not revolutionary. It did not change a lot of people's... It was absolutely revolutionary. Wow. Always been trapped. What planet are you on, Gotti? Lovetron. Are you your- familiar with the planet Lovetron? <laughs> you and Mario Gabelli. Yeah. Gabelli's from Lovetron? Yeah, he's a big lover. Like brothers love. from another mother. This was what would concern me about Apple. What? You've okay. had a pretty Quickly. stunning rally in the broader market over the last couple of weeks. Tim talks about it all the time, up 13%-ish over the last 18 days. Yes, I That's do. That's somewhat accurate, right? Well, Apple, although it has rallied from that 142.5, 143 yep. low, hasn't really ratcheted higher. That, to me, is a minor concern. Obviously, the guidance they gave was concerning, and I understand why it's not there, but I would have expected more of a bounce. Me being from the planet Lovetron... Ah. Would expect a far greater bounce. Far. Coming up, chips on a rip in the after hours. Texas Instruments, Xilinx, and Lamb Research all higher after other earnings reports. We'll tell you what's driving the move. Plus, one trader just bet nearly $2 million that this Dow stock right here could surge when it reports earnings this week. We will give you the name. We're live at the NASDAQ in Times Square. Much more Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert. Check out the semis surging. Xilinx, Lamb Research, Texas Instruments, all higher after their earnings reports moments ago. And the moves lifting the SMH, the ETF that tracks the group after hours as well. Guy, remember, mm-hmm. fast pitch mm. Xilinx on December 3rd. I don't know about fast, fast pitch, but pitch. I know we went over that board over there, that How'd smart board, you? and we powered. I got smoked. Okay. It was like a seven. That Braxton wow. is never, kills you know me. what? It's like 75. Tune her up I tonight. Could, I could pitch puppy dogs, and it would be 75, 25. It's true. It's true. That's fine. Aww. So you say. Probably get the baby crying for that. No, it's not a baby cry. There it is. There. 
<laughs> but I'll say this. Now, all of a sudden, you watch over the next couple of days, and there are two days left this week, I believe. You're going to see a lot of analysts start to upgrade this name. Yes, valuation is Love rich. Trump. We talked about it on the power pitch. But look at their margins. The look at their pitch. guidance. Look at their revenue beat. And look at their EPS beat. And it understands why Xilinx is up probably I like how he hedges himself on the days left in the week. Two days. Yeah, I think there's two. Maybe on Lovetron, there's a different number of days no, in the week. No, yeah. depends I mean, on the week. There's only eight days. In the, uh, Who sells the rips and semis? If there's a rip here across the board, as we saw in the after-hour session, do you sell that? You're not going to miss it. Semis that? are not going to get away from you, whether it's inventory, oh. whether it's demand, whether it's data center, you name it. Um, Intel is the most important market. This is very constructive, though, for a market, though, that wants to continue to have momentum. From one big chick name to another, Tim mentioned Intel. That reports tomorrow after the bell. The stock is up about 7%. Since the December lows, the options market is predicting the rally has got plenty of room to run. Mike Coe joined us from San Francisco to break down the action. Hey, Mike. Hi there. So, yeah, Intel, which already trades a lot of options daily on average, traded more than double its average daily call volume, over 100,000 call contracts traded in total. It's implying a move of about 5%, and that's in line with the 4.5%. It typically moves on average after earnings. And where we saw a lot of that activity, somebody was rolling some large bullish bets. They ended up selling about 5,000 of the February calls and the April calls to buy 10,000 of the July 52.5 calls. They spent $1.85 for those, so they need to stop to be above 54.35 by July expiration for that to be profitable. Presumably, they're betting the stock is going to go much higher than that, and that would be a rally of well over 12% from where it was when the trade took place. And there's a commitment of a pretty substantial amount of premium, too, almost $2 million. Pete, you probably saw this action as well. Yeah, and I'm long the stock. Yeah. I'm not long calls in this anymore. I love the stock, and I'd probably love to sell calls against it at some point in time. But what I like about Intel is it's far more diverse than just memory. It's, it's got all these other areas where they're showing their growth and where they're trying to move. Still got to get a CEO. One of these days, we've been talking about this for months and months and months, I would love for them to settle on who are they going to get as a CEO of this company. And that will be a catalyst, presumably? I think that, well, if they hire the right guy, I think it's a great catalyst that actually puts it up into the new highs. I'll pose this one to you. Oh, I, Back to Xilinx. Oh, I love <laughs> would, you rather, rather, uh -oh. would you rather? Jinx, but I, Jinx. I will allow you to talk to answer the question. You have to say my name Xilinx or Intel? Guy, guy, guy. I, I hear what Pedro's saying. I think, listen, I understand, listen, I think Intel will grind higher. I think Xilinx could explode higher. So given the parameters of that game, I would say Xilinx. All right. Mike, thanks uh, for the action. Mike Co in San Francisco for Raw Options Action. Check out the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. You know what Pete listens to when he's in Minnesota riding what, around on that tractor letting the free flag fly? Ooh, easy for you to say. Unbreak my heart because America's yeah. not buying his pitch on Caterpillar. But we should say that this oh, is the probably remix. the closest that really? we've had in a poll oh. in a very long time. 64% of you said no. Oh, my God. That's the closest? That? <laughs> That's the closest oh we've had in a long time. So, let me tell you something. I'll dance around on that all day long. Damn. All right, trade. now it's final trade time. Amaran, this thing has had buyers, buyers, buyers. It's been going up, up, up. I think it goes higher biotech. Get Tim. Well, guess what? The ultimate support for the remix is that I'm actually picking Caterpillar nice. based on valuation wow. and the fact that I think we priced in a lot of bad news. Pete clearly could have done a better job, but I like the stuff. That's Thank not you. true. McDonald's, <laughs> potential to break out right here. McDonald's, incredible upside. That was that was my yesterday's. Yeah, McDonald's. Remember, they're making nice. it come into America. They're not it's not a remake. It's going to be Sequel. another. You just fantastic. Me. Go ahead. Xilinx, when they're three digits on that sucker tomorrow, just remember I told you so. That does it for us. See you back here tomorrow at five for more fast. Mad Money starts right now.
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.